Thank you for calling Euphoria's Hanorama Kwanzmas Hotline. This all-inclusive holiday info line will help you determine which holidays are appropriate for you. Please choose a number from the following options or say the word. For information on Hanukkah, press 1. For Ramadan, press 2. For Kwanzaa, press 3. For Christmas, press 4. Let's see, uh, Euphoria, I need uh, Christmas information. You have chosen Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa is not just for African Americans anymore. Kwanzaa is a fairly new holiday. Kwanzaa means fruit in Swahili. You may celebrate Kwanzaa regardless of your cultural history. If you know an African American, are of African American descent, or would secretly like to be an African American, please join the Kwanzaa celebration. Kwanzaa is fun to say and may be celebrated any way you like. Christmas, what is with these people? Bing Crosby, Snow, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I want the Christmas. You have chosen Hanukkah. You'll know that you should celebrate Hanukkah if you know the meanings of the word dreidel and menorah. If you're a member of Jews for Jesus, Hanukkah may not be appropriate for you. Hanukkah is over 2,300 years old. Happy Hanukkah! Christmas! It's a fact! You have pressed an incorrect number. Christmas! I want information on Christmas! You have... You have pressed... You have pressed an incorrect number. We're sorry you're having trouble. Please say the word or press the number for the holiday of choice. Christmas! Thank you for calling the Hanorama Kwanzmas Hotline. Happy Holidays! Goodbye. University of Garage Logic, 98. College of Self-Esteem, zip, nada, nothing. Here's Joe Suchere. I'm sad to report, and I'm very serious that I'm sad, that pushback did not work when it comes to the Art Deco murals. Mm. In the uh, chambers of the St. Paul City Council, they acted uh, uh, swiftly, didn't they? Uh, they? The council voted Wednesday to assemble a task force, hand in hand with Ramsey County. I'm reading from the Pioneer Press to help select new art to cover the four large murals that loom over the council's chambers in the city hall courthouse. The murals depict white men, an explorer, a riverboat captain, railroad surveyor, and laborer, standing over smaller images that include black dock workers, black railroad porters, and Native Americans assisting white men on the process of being converted to Christianity. The county, which co-owns the property, will work with Ramsey County Historical Society to commission four new pieces of art, the art the new art will then be rotated in front of the existing murals two at a time without altering the existing artwork. The new art will reflect similar themes of labor and industry, and a diverse and representative public art task force will advise the city and county on selecting artists. Hmm. Let me stop right there. Given the mindset of these people who rule from the salon, the new artwork will have to be impossibly unimaginative. What are you predicting? What are you? Um, I have no idea. <clears throat> It'll have to be impossibly unimaginative. Uh-huh. Okay, wait a minute now. Let's seriously let's break this down. What are we celebrating right now in Minnesota? It's got to be all diversity. That's right. This is not much of a history. So are we going to? Include- There's no history in diversity. Diversity is a fact. It's not a value. True, but but I think what's going to be shoved down our throats is this is the place for 
uh, you know, we've had this these these firsts of all these, uh, you know, Ilhan. Um, Maybe it'll be, uh, you know, a painting of Melvin Carter, the first African-American mayor of St. Paul. That's what I'm saying. I'm not demeaning that, but I'm just saying that was not the foundation of the city of St. Paul. That doesn't show... That just shows the current conditions. So do we change this every 10 years? Council members have acknowledged that in the 1930s, muralist John Norton may have, intent, may have intended to pay, pay homage to the labor and sacrifices of the city's workers of color and indigenous population and their inclusion in the murals, which depict only one woman. Oh, that that the new ones will be very heavy on the women. Okay. Right. All right. Not heavy women. No, not but, big gals. We, uh, yeah. Hey, trim her up, baby. Uh, let's get her down <laughs> to about have, 140. got to get women in there, right. though. But council members said they send the wrong message for modern times. Oh, this, this saddens me. I'm not kidding you. This saddens me. We are led by fools. I, I'm not kidding. I don't mean that. Uh, it does sound unkind, doesn't it? We're, no, we're led by people with no wisdom. We're led with pe- by people okay. with no... Fool. No perspective on life. We're led with knee-jerk, politically expedient people who have whimsically and capriciously decided uh, to take to to use this as a form of grandstanding to point out how sincerely virtuous they are. These types of murals are all over the country. Granted, they're getting erased all over the country right. too. Uh. In the resolution, the uh, council uh, called the images unwelcoming and said they do not reflect the city's current values, nor do they represent present-day narratives. They weren't intended to. They weren't intended to. How could John Norton in 1932 have intended to represent the city of St. Paul in the year 2018? That was not his intention. His work was of a school of art. That was popular in the country at that time. Uh, council member, uh, the resolution was sponsored by Council President Amy Brenmoan and Council members Rebecca Noker, Mitra Jalili Nelson, Chris Tolbert, and Dai Tao. Council member Jane Prince on Wednesday expressed continued frustration that the murals had not been removed, noting that Dakota constituents from her east side ward have for years expressed a disgust with the images. I, I really challenge that. I, I, I want to see evidence of that. Showing people of color in subservient roles is this in this of all places is simply wrong, she said. Taking the opposite track, the guy we're going to lose, Dan Bostrom, yesterday was his last council mm-hmm. meeting, encouraged the council to recognize the historical value and noted that the Depression-era murals date back to the opening of the Art Deco-style courthouse city hall in the early 1930s. And now Bostrom, uh, the only voice of sanity on the council, is done. He resigned. He was overwhelmed by good judgment. And will will be replaced by a marionette. Here's what I want to know. Here's what I yeah, because his replacement will be appointed by the council. It's not plausible that these do-gooders are going to go out and find an independent voice. God no. They're going to find another member of the club. Here's I have two questions. And I don't know how who to talk to to help me break this down. Rook and I are here. Right. What do you need? Well, first of all. I mentioned to you that Jane Prince, and I gave her credit for this. Yes. She emailed me. Mm-hmm. I've written two columns defending uh, the not, not touching these murals. Right. It, it Learn from them and learn what you're seeing and what you're appreciating. And Jane Prince emailed me 
and seemed, maybe I misinterpreted her email, but seemed to indicate to me that she understood my contention for keeping them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where I even encouraged her in my response. I said, thank you. Uh, I can't remember the last time a politician even ever right. bothered to write me. Uh, thank you. And uh, might you possibly be the one to take a stand? Only to discover that in this story, she doesn't sound like the same woman who emailed me. She sounds like she's bitter and why are these still up? This is – then the other thing I don't understand. Okay, so I don't understand that. Right. The other thing I don't understand is that overwhelmingly, each time this story has appeared in the paper, it has generated healthy, healthy comment traffic. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments. Okay. Because normally, doesn't it spark debate amongst the commenters? Yeah, but in this case, the point I was driving at is this case— Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commenters. And I would say 99.5% of those people commenting were in defense of the murals. And they weren't— In defense of the murals. In defense of them. Don't touch history. That shocks me. Wow. In a good way. No, no, it shouldn't shock you. Well, it will. I'm I'm coming full circle to the point I'm trying to make. And then uh, my columns were even defended— by people who wrote letters to the editor. And, of course, they always had to lead by saying, you know, I don't or normally agree with this moron, <laughs> right, but uh, right. in this case, right. uh, I agree with him. So, th- so there's this body of evidence, empirical evidence, that I would venture to say most people in St. Paul, if they're aware of this so-called controversy, would have weighed in on the side of you— People in the salon are crazy. These are beautiful period pieces of work. They're not demeaning to anyone. Uh, Who's electing these people? I have noticed this my whole life, that uh, comments on articles generally reflect a great conservative constituency out there, Mm -hmm. be it in Minneapolis or St. Paul. Then how has it come to be? That we've elected these people. Who you mean? When, I don't when, get it. When you see the, the comments from these uh, these East Siders that are defending, that may say, "Oh, leave it alone." But why? I don't know where the commenters are from. I'm just saying, it, you can go online today at the Pioneer Press uh, and read the story about the city council deciding to uh, uh, diminish the importance of these murals, and you can read the comments. <laughs> And you will invariably find that the commenters are opposed to the city council tampering with these murals. Then who who voted these people in? Right. Well, and who on the east side has been complaining? There's been a barrage That's of BS. complaints. Absolutely. No, there hasn't. Just be, and why BS. aren't these why are these council people so afraid? I know they have to drink the Kool-Aid and speak the speak, but I'm I'm really surprised by Prince. I can't claim to know Jane Prince. I don't know her, but uh, I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised that she she acknowledged one of the two columns I wrote on these murals. And again, I I, I thought I was uh, seeing a woman who uh, possibly would have stood up and say, "Harumph, harumph! Uh, enough is enough. We have no obligation to comfort the uninformed. That's not part of our job description." 
The only guy is Bostrom. He'd sooner fill a pothole yeah. than worry about this politically expedient, manufactured outrage about these murals. It's just, it's a sadness. It's a sadness to watch this happen. The, the city is getting hollowed out uh, commercially. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I really, talked to a restaurant. I'm really, I'm really starting to rant now. Okay. There, there are so many serious problems that must be addressed. This is not a problem. This is not a problem. Let's get back to what will replace this. You were right. Uh, diversity, women. Uh, African-Americans in position of leadership. Great. That's fine. Uh, but they'll, they'll have to be unimaginably. Uh, uh, maybe throwing some, uh, some uh, zero car, uh, carbon yeah, yeah, they'll footprint. Help, they'll have to be, maybe, maybe we'll get a large mural of a light rail car. I, I'm not being facetious. I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what do they, what do they that's think? Really, okay, what, but that's not our history. Plus, there's nothing to celebrate right now in St. Paul in terms of building the city. The city is getting hollowed out. Right. The vacancy rates are high. It, there's, you can't, it, it, with the exception of Jaime's, you can't buy, buy a pair of socks in St. Paul. Mm -hmm. You can't buy a shirt or a pair of pants. Well, maybe you can. Is there a Target mini store? I don't know. Yeah, my, the, the, my, my, my point being. It's not like it used to my, be. My point being that commerce uh, is is struggling in St. Paul. The, the, uh, uh, the sole industry that seems to be driving St. Paul is, is restaurants. And yeah. tap rooms and and new saloons and what have you. Purchase right by uh, CHS Field. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. I, I know. I, I don't need Phenomenal. food reviews right now. My point. Oh, my point being that what are they going to? What are they going to take from the mind of John Norton, who was celebrating the progress of a city? So now today. 80, 90 years later, 80 years later, 75, whatever it is. What are they, what do they, what do these morons, they're morons. Fools. What do they, what do they think they can have commissioned to represent what? That's what I want to know. To represent what? What's the, okay. You know, if you wanted to be honest, you'd commission uh, a painting of a wrecking ball taking down a building. Well, that's what I'm trying to. What is for right now? If you were the, if if you were Norton, and let's just say in a modern day and age, what would you have celebrated in St. Paul today? As a as a GLer, not as a Euphorian. Today, would, yeah, today I'd be hard pressed. I'd be I'd be hard pressed. I'd be hard doesn't pressed. have. There's no identity. There's no St. Paul identity now. Yes, you used to have the steamboats coming up. Yes, you had the 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 rail lines. Uh, That's what Norton celebrated. Hill. Yes, but I mean, between then and now, I don't know what St. Paul's been a great city. How, how long is it going to be before a movement begins? And I'm not being facetious. How long will it be, given this kind of mindset of uneducated, unwise people? How long will it be before a campaign begins? to stop touring the James J. Hill house because James J. Hill was oh white. Oh, my God. He was a white timber and railroad baron. And probably you could find evidence that he uh, had uh, African-American stewards and porters on his trains. How long will it be before the, James J. Hill slaves. is persona non grata? Or yeah. the fact that his last name is a trigger warning, white. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, his last name's Hill. Ooh. Sorry. Oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm a little distracted today. Uh, God, I'll, yeah, cut that that gonna, I'll cut that, that one part out. Yeah, yeah, I have to get some coins in there. Yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> God almighty. Hold that.
You know what the sad thing is? I mean, by this standard, yeah. by this standard of, 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 of wishing to hide these murals, what then is going to be next? That's the game we've always been playing here. What's going to be next? I, I came up with the James J. Hill example. Uh, the the, the St. Paul Winter Carnival is is just but a shadow of its former right. self. That's been eaten away at by political correctness. That that really doesn't exist much anymore. What about the courthouse? Um, the uh, the uh, God of Peace. Yes. Uh, do well, we that's have a fine peace because that's a Native American. Okay. No, that that'll never get touched. That's okay. That's okay. okay. We're, we're, and it's beautiful, I, I by the way. The tobacco, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that it's not going to be touched because I don't want to play that game. What? James J. White, by the way, is a professor of law at the University of Michigan. Ah, yeah. no statue for him. No. Hmm. Well, what other? You have a good point. What other landmarks? What other major uh, St. Paul uh, contributors, businessmen? When let's face it, at the turn of the century, uh, they were white, and they they started these corporations, and they stayed here in St. Paul and the Twin Cities, and but, but prospered. What about the guile? Of Jane Prince and Brenda Moan and Noker, the guile to 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 be so vain that you think you can better interpret Norton's work than he did. That is the that is the that's the rub here. Or you're trying to write an ordinance and you just you can't focus because the uh, the African American porter is loading up the uh, uh, train. Trains probably gave rise to a black middle class in this country. They're, they're, it and was being a porter was not necessarily humiliation. No, and point out again, we didn't have slaves in Minnesota. We didn't have slaves in Minnesota. So the guys carrying the grain under the ferry boat in one of the murals, who cares what color they are? They were employed. Right. But the guile of these people to believe that they can better interpret the intentions of a world-famous muralist than the muralist could. It's just, it's a sadness. I'm struck with a sadness today about this because pushback didn't work. No. And bye-bye, Dan. I, I, or, uh, and there goes your Bostrom. last, there goes the last vote of sanity on the St. Paul City Council, a guy named Dan Bostrom, 78 years old, and he's, Stuck to his guns till the very end, and yesterday was the only dissenting vote to say, no, this, this is fine. This is beautiful art from the period. It was Art Deco, and the building went up. Very sad. I don't, I, it'll be very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see what possibly will be painted to reflect the views of these people. Mate, schmate. Here's Joe Suchere. You can't get a latte at the Krabby Coffee Shop. Uh, you can't. You get a little shot of half and half? Speaking of that, is he coming tomorrow? I have no idea. Trumley? Yeah. Carl? I don't know. Whatever his name is. I haven't, you know what? Carl Wilson? He's off the how, grid. He won't can, respond right. to anything. How can you disassociate yourself with... With coworkers that you have loved and worked with for so darn long, well, even though he's been crabby. I got a cape out of deer, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I still want to see what's going on in his life. I mean, he's got a wife, he's got, you know, a son. I want to know about what's going on. I can't shake my despondency about these murals. I, I'm not kidding you. 
You're worked up. I can tell. Well, but it's a sadness. It's a great sadness to to see something so poorly misinterpreted, to see such such lack of knowledge, such lack of wisdom, uh, the nerve of these people. My fear, Joe, is what's next. Well, just what you focused on. What are they going to come up with that represents that truly does you, not? You are represent. presiding over a failing city. <clears throat> I wish that wasn't the case because I love St. Paul. As they said, an easy rider. This used to be one hell of a country. Well, this used to be one hell of a city. Mm. It's going to happen in Minneapolis, too. Despite the apparent flourishing of commerce in Minneapolis, uh, the wrong people have also been elected there, and they're ruling from the salon. Well, there's a point where the money is you know, going to run out. They can't say. You know what I want to explore? I want to explore, and I have a guest in mind. I want to explore. I've been finally catching up and doing my homework on it. The Minneapolis is calling it the 2040 plan. Yes. And essentially what it is, it's the el- elimination of zoning. It's the elimination of the American dream is what it is. It's it's the people in the salon saying that single family homes in neighborhoods are racist. That's basically what it's coming down to. And that uh, we want a zoning situation where fourplexes can be built next to a single family home or apartment buildings or whatever. And uh, it's it's the work of Lisa Bender, who wants it to be known that she's a, a year-round bicycle commuter to work and the whole deal doesn't with, shovel her sidewalk. With no sidewalks, right. But, but, but what, what is this? An erasure of neighborhoods yeah. to, fi- to build a collective. Because the people in the salon find the idea of, of a family owning a single-family dwelling in the city of Minneapolis is somehow untoward, that that some, somehow uh, has a historical uh, racism built into it because of redlining and whatever, and they want to eliminate that. I got news for you. Uh, any any African-American family in Minneapolis can buy a home wherever they want. Right. So what, the, the plan, what, yeah. what are you oh, attempting right. to fix? That's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. What does she hope to gain by this? It's the salon. It's the salon saying we're going to show you how a collective, sustainable urban city should be should look, and that means we don't care about your single-family home neighborhoods. We 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 want we we don't want that. That that speaks to us of a patriarchal privilege, and we're here to disband it. Because you know the list of issues that the city of Minneapolis has. That's clearly number one. But my point is that 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 the seemingly flourishing commerce. Uh, in Minneapolis, will also be fated to decline. Uh, as Just a matter of time? It's just a matter of time before it also is hollowed out because of the salon. And, you know, dining and craft breweries will be the main business in Minneapolis. Boy, is my stomach rumbling. <laughs> yeah, you missed lunch at 1030 today. We recorded a little bit earlier today, folks, so if you hear something growling, it's Joe's stomach. But you can all, almost hear it over the microphone. Didn't continue. Should we have his peanut butter sandwich <laughs> with his banana? Right. Fake news. What do you got? A German reporter has been fired from the magazine Der Spiegel. Yeah. Uh, what reason? Well, he went to Fergus Falls, Minnesota, huh. and did a, in 2017. He spent a month in Fergus. He claims to have spent a month in Fergus Falls, getting to know the people uh, who overwhelmingly voted for Trump. And what we've learned is that he went there to play these people for fools because they voted for Trump. And he made up virtually everything. His name wow. is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Klaus 
Relotius, mm. Klaus Relotius. And when the piece came out, some people in Fergus Falls began to uh, question each other about what this fellow had written. And, uh, for example, uh, Klaus Relotius committed his deception intentionally and methodically, Der Spiegel said, claiming he made up dialogue in his stories with people he never talked to and composite characters of people who actually did exist but whose stories Relotius had fabricated, like Neil Becker, who works in a coal mine that doesn't exist in Fergus Falls. Neither does Neil Becker. Whoops. None of this would have been exposed if not for Michelle Anderson and Jake Crone of Fergus Falls, who spent a year researching the characterization of their corner of paradise and the reporter who wanted to understand rural America. There are only two things those writers seem to have concluded or are able to pitch to their editors. We are either backwards, living in the past, and have our heads up our asses, or we're dumb, endearing animals that just need a little attention in order to keep us from eating the rest of the world alive, they wrote. Uh... I don't want to read the whole story. It's a long story. You can find it everywhere that's breaking online. But uh, uh, this guy came in there, and he absolutely lied about everything, including the sign at the entrance to the town, which he said read, Welcome to Fergus Falls, home of damn good folks. There is no such sign. Fail. There is no such sign. Didn't he think that was going to be verified somehow when the people of Fergus Falls caught wind of this? yeah. How about how about his guile? How about his vanity that he thinks he could get away with this? Right. People in Fergus Falls know how to read. Right. And the internet brings everything in an arms, uh, you know, stretch away. The person. And here's here's I'll read one paragraph of of the of the extraordinary lies. Here's the writer uh, Kloss's description of the city administrator mm-hmm. in Fergus Falls. Okay. The person who knows the people in Fergus Falls best, the first residents I talked to, told me the most important job at City Hall and always carry a gun. His room is a room on the ground floor, and the entrance is a stuffed wild boar. He himself sits behind a desk. On it runs a small TV. It's a morning in late January. Donald Trump talks on CNN, and Andrew Bremseth, a guy with boyish features and a name tag on his chest, talks about liberation. Fergus Falls has been waiting for Trump, he says. Obama was there for bankers, gays, and students. Can you imagine the city administrator of Fergus Falls saying that? Uh, but not for ordinary people, and that's over. Trump will kick everyone in the ass. Andrew Bremseth, dark blonde hair, rolling accent, is 27 years old, the youngest city administrator in Minnesota. He wears a gray short sleeve shirt with a holster clinging to his belt. His pistol Beretta caliber 9 millimeters gave, gave him his father for Christmas, he said. This is the guy can't even write. He also owns two rifles at home, so he shoots wild geese, deer, and sometimes wolves. Obama and Clinton wanted to ban weapons without a gun license, but people here, says Brem Seth, love hunting. They love beautiful weapons, and they hate Washington regulations. Uh, 70.4% of the voters of Fergus Falls have chosen Trump. Brem Seth hanged the election results in his office as proof. He does not like talking about the sign that had been in front of the entrance a few days ago, Mexicans keep out. He himself did not see it with his own eyes, he says. It was probably just stupid kids. Uh, what the writer got right was the age of this fellow, where he went to school, and that he's a native of Fergus Falls. The rest... What I just read to you, completely fabricated, completely made what up. What the hell? Completely made up. Perhaps the oddest fiction in a list of many is Relatolius' depiction of Bremseth as someone who would like to marry soon, but he has not yet been in a serious relationship with a woman, nor 
uh, has he also never been to the ocean? The guy made this up about the city administrator. <laughs> he just what, pulled it out of a hat? Brem Seth has indeed been to the ocean. By his account, many times, and is currently happily involved in a multi-year cohabitational relationship with a woman named Amber. In fact, there's a picture of two of them in front of all things the ocean. Wow. You can find that story. You can find it. It's just... So that dude is... That dude's just saying... Uh... Well, he's out of a job. Wow. I've been there many times. Yeah, he's seen the ocean. Yeah. All right. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's time once again to visit the Great Living American Christmas Tree Lot, located in downtown Garage Logic. Hurry in for best selection. You learn more here by accident than elsewhere by design. Here's Joe Suchere. You know it's disappearing from the uh, American landscape? What's that, sir? The sedan. The sedan automobile. Oh, okay. Yep. I was reading a piece about it in Bloomberg News site. What is it being replaced with? The only thing that's, well, trucks and SUVs. Crossovers. But the only cars that are surviving are muscle cars. Mm. The list of passenger cars sent to the scrap heap keeps getting longer. The Dodge Dart and Chrysler 200 are gone. Ford models, including the Fusion and Fiesta, are going to be finished. And last month, General Motors announced plans to call. Yeah, okay, so we're losing the sedans. To call the uh, uh, Buick LaCrosse, Chevy Impala, and others. But as Detroit kills off slow-selling sedans, there's one niche that's hung on. Retro-styled, testosterone-fueled reincarnations of muscle cars from the 60s and 70s. Huh. What's dying is the commoditized four-door nothing burger, no personality car, said Tim Kuniskis, who ran the Dodge brand at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles from 2013 to early 2018 before taking over Jeep North America. Does Dodge have a, a Malibu or Taurus-like vehicle? I can't think of that. No, well, they have the Dart, the Chrysler 200. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, but the Challenger, uh, you know. That's and, a little fancier, well, they're, right? That's surviving. Those right. are surviving. Because as this uh, Kuniskus notes, muscle cars have a well-defined personality and positioning. They also command a great revenue. Fiat Chrysler, which kicked off the sedan-slashing brand in early 2016, commands, a, commands an average transaction of around thirty-six grand for its muscular Dodge Challenger. Uh, that might not be enough to match the fat margins on trucks and SUVs that have become the focus for Detroit, but these powerful throwbacks can still be moneymakers. And that can help automakers finance their shift to a more electric future, especially since the initial investment on developing a Challenger uh, has long since been paid off. But isn't it ironic that I, I, I told you I saw Wes. I keep saying Wes. What's the governor's name? Tim Walls. Uh, Tim Walls, yes. I told you I was walking one night, and there was a fundraiser in my neighborhood for Tim Walls. Mm-hmm. And you know they're all Kool-Aid drinkers. Right, right. I didn't see a sedan. I'm not exaggerating. All I saw were SUVs. So they, they will just include the roster of people who cannot lecture us. Right. Uh, nor can Tim Walls lecture anybody. Nor Margaret Ag Anderson Kelleher. None of them can, can lecture us. But how many people across the country, uh, you know, to display their own sense of virtue, 
are saying we've got to stop global warming. They all they're all driving SUVs to the point where automakers are eliminating the family sedan. Right. The uh, Japanese automakers are not eliminating the sedan yet. They're they're hanging on. Honda's bet a lot on the on the Accord and Hyundai and solid Kia. Car, right. Yeah. But but Detroit's saying the hell with it. You people don't want sedans, so therefore we're not going to build them. Do the Euphorians forgive themselves for having these uh, vehicles because they they hide behind they're more fuel efficient? An SUV would not be more fuel efficient than a family sedan. Just the weight uh, of it alone would tell you that. No, I mean with the with the current uh, emission standards and the flex fuel. Well, and, uh, but you know, they're not that, driving around a seventy six Nova that's spewing. No. I don't follow your question. I'm saying, do they are they justifying? I think people are going into SUVs because of of their capabilities. That they're good and drive. They're safe. They're good in bad weather. They're uh, you can haul stuff. You can you can lead an active life. And uh, but my my comment was more for for them justifying. Yes, I have a, a sport utility vehicle, but it but it's so fuel efficient as opposed to what they used to be. I don't. It's okay. I don't know how they're justifying it. Uh, uh, the point being that that muscle cars, ironically, mm-hmm. ironically, uh, because they're high horsepower, right? They're not only surviving; they're tremendously popular. You know, Ford's going to get to the point where all they produce is SUVs, trucks, and the Mustang. That's it. <laughs> that's, I mean, Chevy killed me. off the Malibu. Uh, that's a, and that was a, and they're killing off the Volt. I've never driven the Volt. The Malibu was a solid workhorse. It was a family sedan. Right, right. That's what I mean. It, it, it you could throw a couple of hockey bags in the trunk, still get the kids around, and mm-hmm. it, uh, it just kept going. Compared with the death spiral that's consumed sedans, the Dodge muscle cars are doing all right. Retail sales of large passenger cars, a segment that includes the Nissan Maxima and Chevy Impala, is down 21% in 2018, according to J.D. Power. The Ford Mustang, the top-selling muscle car in America, was only down 3.6% through the same period. Hmm. Fiat Chrysler, I'm a stockholder. Yeah, you are. You and Patrick. Thought every Catholic in the country would buy a Fiat. (laughs) Didn't work out. No. Fiat Chrysler, with less cash to plow in the new models than its Detroit rivals, revitalized the Dodge brand by appealing to core drag racing enthusiasts and regularly one-ups itself with more powerful engine variants with sinister names, Hellcat, Demon, Red Eye, that boost horsepower. There's almost been a resurgence with some of the younger people, even kids uh, that aren't of driving age, that are interested in those products, said Jeff Schuster. Senior Vice President of Forecasting for LMC Automotive. Those kinds of special editions and add-ons have really put some life into the vehicles. Investing is easy. Now's the time to invest. Invest now. Time now for Joe and Pat's Piping Hot Stock Take. Mo Money. <laughs> well, the Pope Remember got in that days? Fiat, and I couldn't mm. wait to call the oh, guy yeah. and All say, you saw was cartoon-like dollar signs. That's in all I saw. I'm going to be... I'm Rich. What about you're a Peninsula guy on White Bear? That's oh, right. I, had a, I had a yacht. Yeah, I was going to get a right. yacht, my own plane. Look at that, the whole deal. Helicopter. Then I was going to bitch at you about global warming when exactly. I got all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm GLers are not anti-automobile people, uh, and we're not hypocrites. We enjoy them, and 
we're not going to lecture you on your use no. of your transportation. Absolutely no. not. Mm-hmm. Okay, tomorrow. <sighs> yep, uh, tomorrow. This is the big— Because you'll be hearing this podcast today, which is December 20. Uh, tomorrow— It's Friday. party time. Uh, we're at, uh, going to— uh, I'm Do the podcast live beginning at noon. Oh yeah, and the and the uh, the ticket holders have already been informed. Yes, they have. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the beautiful things about uh, having a a live studio. Now, audience, will the will the Rat Skeller be open to those people, Chris? Just to the people who have been notified via email. Yeah, because when do they normally open? Uh two p.m. And that's when the, the public. Can the Rat Skeller will be open to the public, and mm-hmm. we will stick around after two o'clock. If people if people are hearing this and say, "Well, I want to hang out, but I didn't I didn't win," come at two o'clock. Yeah. Meet the fellas. We'll be there for a while. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm done for the day now. Oh no, <laughs> it's, today. Yeah, and this this is you're good. starting to gear up, aren't you? I think uh, you know I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to full fledged. I got a <laughs> Christmas shopping to do and stuff like gotta that. Make food and stuff. It really uh, this it's the festive turns just around the corner. I uh, tomorrow it's party time. I think it starts tomorrow. I think <laughs> it all starts tomorrow. So if you want to be part of that, and you've had your email, we'll see you tomorrow at Summit. All right. If not, after two o'clock, they'll open up to the public, and again, you can. Uh, I'd also like to remind you that um, if there's anything left over from the uh, Tanucci family via apps and so forth, uh, public can come on in. But I, I think my GL is probably going to take care of every morsel because it's so fantastic. Thank you very much to uh, Mark and Mark, the Tanucci family, uh, for providing the wonderful uh, chow for tomorrow. And we'll see you. GarageLogic.com is where you're going to find all the information to spread the word about the Garage Logic podcast. Greg Holcomb's wonderful cartoon creations, What's on Joe's Bookshelf, and don't forget to rate us on Apple iTunes, please and thank you. We'll catch you in the next podcast. You're one click away from more Garage Logic. I would not to cancel Christmas.